Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. This is your weekly audio Fulham firing squad. My name is Sammy James and on tonight's show we will discuss how AK-47 was the weapon of choice on Saturday. But then once again how Fulham managed to shoot themselves in the foot late on. Uh, We'll also be looking to the Forest and QPR games who find themselves in the Fulham crosshairs this week. And in my arsenal tonight is the South London shotgun Don Betts. Hello, hello. Uh, The RSA revolver Dave, Dave Preston. How's it going? And cannoning in for his Fulhamish debut is Drew Heatley. How are you doing, Drew? Hello there. Pleasure to have hey. you on Fulhamish. Welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, plenty to discuss on tonight's podcast, as I mentioned. Uh, but first of all, we must do um, some three-word reviews. Now, uh, the order of secretarial line uh, has often gone first to Jack, obviously. Uh, ben has filled in many a time. Even Farrell has filled in. We've never gone to Don Betts, but Secretary John... Can I have some three-word reviews, please? Well, we always had the Don Riley FFC's famous Lights Kamara bottle, which got many likes on Twitter, maybe even more than the actual tweet itself. It was brilliant, Pi- brilliant. We had Pytum Gasami with clean sheet allergy. Good of him to get involved, yeah. Pytum Gasami. <laughs> uh, Marissa Cardoni with practice set pieces, that might help. And Tim Touring with Bring On Forest, because I can't wait for that tomorrow night. Yeah, it's going to be a big game tomorrow night. Big week for Fulham, really, as we um, round off September uh, going into the international break. Let's look back at Saturday's game. First of all, though, got to say that Fulhamish is backed for the season by the kind guys at Labrooks. Uh, if you go to bets.fulhamish.co.uk, you can bet £5, get £20. You get £25 to play with and all it will cost you is a fiver. But yes, the Middlesbrough game on Saturday at the Cottage, it was another late equaliser. There was no goals in 86 minutes and a bit like London buses, two come around uh, in just two minutes, AK-47 uh, getting his first of Fulham before Cyrus Christie's instant reply. Uh, it was an entertaining and high-quality encounter. I think we all kind of expected that. Um, Dom, expectations felt quite low going into the Middlesbrough game after what we saw at Burton. So were you pleasantly surprised to see Fulham playing at such a high tempo? It was nice to see, but as I said, everyone was like, oh yeah, we'll probably take a point before the game, but I hate that sort of wording because it's just you may take it before the game but then you still have to take the game into context that we need to stop scoring late-ish goals in the game and and not be undefended after that because we defended really well up to their goal pretty much or up to our goal probably and then it seems to happen whenever we score a goal in like the 75th to the 85th or so minute we we just we, we score that goal and then after that we seem to lose all ability to defend. The defending on the set piece, which Cyrus Christie eventually scores from, is just woeful. It seems to me like we played the perfect game on Saturday. We, we For 85 minutes, it was a difficult team to break down Middlesbrough, but I thought we played excellently. As you say, we defended really well. And then in that last 20 minutes before the goal, we really started to come into the game. Kamara made a massive impact, which we'll come on to. And then just to throw it away like we did was, was so disappointing. Uh, but let's go back to the starting lineup. Uh, Font was back in the side, Drew. Um, we certainly seem a much more rounded team with him at the helm rather than Aite in the false nine. There was a bit more fluidity in our football and I think he helped with that. Absolutely. And I, I sit here and I wonder to myself, is Font the modern day, uh, is it our next Zamora? Uh, and I say that because he brought he was bringing in other players. He's, he had that hold-up play sometimes that, that I don't think, uh, you know, reminded me of uh, Bobby back in the day. Um, he played in Kamara and Norwood as well. And I just think, imagine if he was being fed by somebody like Kearney, could he strike up that sort of relationship that Zoltan and Bobby had uh, all those years ago? He has amazing hold-up flavours, quite a slight 
man. He hasn't actually got yeah. that much physical presence. I but... actually, I was a bit worried that he was too deep on Saturday. I okay. kept telling myself, get forward, get forward, get forward. But when you think about it, he was, like you say, uh, bringing in a lot of the players, which I guess we need right now. And he looked dangerous. He, I thought he was actually quite unlucky not to get on the end of all the opportunities that came into the box. He wasn't just wasn't quite in the right place. And I don't think that was any fault of his own. I just think mm. it didn't quite drop for him. Mm, just the right place, the right time moment just didn't really happen for him the whole game. Uh, Middlesbrough probably had the better chances in the first half. Marvin Johnson uh, went closest at the Hammersmith end and that shot looked really dangerous. I thought that was, I thought it was going in. Yeah, I did. I think you've got to look at Middlesbrough that they're still probably one of the favourites to get automatic promotion this season. Going into the season, you could argue they were the favourites to win the title because the other two promo- uh, teams who got relegated from the Premier League are Hull and Sunderland, who looked in complete disarray, really. Well, if you saw that game that they played out between each other a week ago, I mean, I only watched the limited highlights on Channel 5, but they both looked woeful. So, yeah, Middlesbrough is the lead. And with top someone tops. like Brett Sombolonga, who is staying fit at the moment, he's always going to be a massive threat. He, he guarantees you goals. And I think we did, as you said, played the perfect game up until we scored. Yeah. Once we score, we just threw everything <laughs> out the, outside the window. We almost feel when we score a late goal that oh, the, that's the final whistle. It's like golden goal. That's it. We can go home. So now. is your point more? Let's let's get a couple of goals in the game, slow, like just as the game goes on, and we may not be panicking. It's because I, that goal comes in the final five minutes, and they think we've won it. Right now, we need to defend for our lives. And it's not that. I think it's more just. The, the mindset just doesn't need to change that badly when we score a goal. Just keep the same mindset as we had going into mm. the game. We defended like we did for the first 85. We wouldn't have conceded that goal from that corner because all it was is just sloppy defending that let Cyrus Christie score that goal. Yeah. Um, other note from the first half was Aite's injury, uh, which forced an early change for Cabano. So injury problems continuing uh, for Slav and his side. Hopefully it's not too serious, but to go off that early must have been something of note. I thought uh, I was I was always I'm always impressed with Ayite, but I wasn't sure I didn't know it was an injury when he went, when he went off. And uh, I was saying to my brother, if I was going to take anyone off at that point, it would be Ojo. Um, I just think that he has uh, he's got some poor decision making for me. Sometimes I'm not impressed. I'm not that impressed with him yet. Um, but yeah, it's a shame that uh, shame that Ayite is out. I'm not sure how long it's going to be for though. Uh, I haven't actually checked. Do you know anything on the Ayite injury? Not entirely sure, but I'm not. It's, I don't think it's as bad as the injuries, let's say, we had to Font and Kearney. Because mm. with Aite, you can always have Cessnion playing left wing, Cabano can play out there. And Cessnion and Cabano, as we've seen in the last season, have, are perfectly capable and very good wingers. And my issue with Aite, I sometimes think he tries to do too much. That he doesn't sometimes. Cabano, when he was scoring last season, was just getting scrappy goals, which I think Aite is trying to score basically a Norwich away goal every single game. When he's trying to go, when he's trying to go through on goal, but it's it's a big loss because he's a very is a, as a, a very fast direct winger and he's got a great technical ability and he's also offers us the false nine position. But I think we've got players capable of coming in and making a performance. We can even push Adoy out to left back and bring Cessna on forward, which is a lot of our fans. I think that's what we want to do. Yeah, if we're going to get an injury crisis anywhere, wing is probably the best place for it absolutely yeah. a lot of people didn't actually see when he got injured but I'm embarrassed to say that I'm a bit of a hamstring injury expert okay I, I tore my first hamstring when I was 16 and I've torn both of them three times since and I actually saw the moment when he pulled up and before Jim or anybody had said anything on the commentary I was watching it on on the stream I I said straight away he's just done his hamstring 
And literally maybe 90 seconds later, I saw him signaling to the bench because I could just tell the way he was wincing. So if it is that kind of injury, you might be able to walk around. But as soon as you break out into a sprint, um, you just you can't perform at your best. So it could any be anywhere between a week to sort of four weeks, you know, with those kind of niggling ones. So the key moment uh, of the game was actually another substitution, which was uh, Slav's second substitution, uh, Abubakar Kamara for Steph Joe. Interesting move from Slav this, and it came quite early on in the second half. Um, moved Font kind of behind Kamara. I don't know how deliberate that was or if that was Font going back out of necessity uh, and put Norwood into Steph's number eight role. Uh, it seemed to really open up the game, though, uh, in Fulham's favour and afterwards it seems to me like there was only one team that was going to score next yeah it's funny uh, Slav said that we lo- he was a bit of a risk putting uh, putting AK-47 on because we lose a bit of control when we have uh, haven't got Steph Joe but I thought that uh, it worked really well I thought uh, Font was playing deep anyway as, as you mentioned David and, and, and it was working with his hold up play and I think uh, after that, we didn't we didn't lose that much control until until the goal. And you're right, I, d- I did feel like at that point uh, it was a real clever move and not one that I would have actually thought of myself. And Kamara missed a huge chance not too long after he came on, uh, raced through with a one on one with Darren Randolph, had a rush of blood to the head, and Sky yeah, he, he basically just like there. hit it as hard as he could. But I think a lot of fans criticised him at that point. But he does actually really well to make that chance with the nice one-two. Yeah. With, yeah. with yeah, he with started fun. the chance. Love exactly, the chance. it was a great, it was a great um, bit of play to create the chance. But yeah, he just had a rush of blood to the end. Just, I think he just smashed it as hard as he mm. could. And I, I was hoping he just slice, just place it in the far post, and it'll yeah. probably just nestle into the corner. But. And, he went for it, but I think him and Font looked like they had a good partnership together when the time they were on the pitch. So I wouldn't be totally surprised if they both started against Forest. Well, we'll come on to whoever you think that should be um, our game plan for Forest. But yeah, Kamara's touch was was mesmerising, mm. and it's just such a polar opposite to what we've seen in the other games. You think back, and this will always be the nadir of his Fulham career, was that evening against Bristol Rovers, where he was truly, truly shocking mm-hmm. and and looked outclassed by a team that was bottom of League One. And suddenly he comes on against a team that were in the Premier League last season and made such an impact. It's, a, it's an incredible transformation within a couple of weeks. I think as well this is a uh, this improvement by uh, Kamara Kamara uh, is uh, is almost something I haven't really thought about how well does Slav nurture players over time uh, we talk about you know we Fulham as a club have bought great and we we are really behind Slav and his tactical sort of uh, his tactics and things like that but developing players maybe this is something that we're seeing here where he's going to take this rough diamond and and polish him up he seems to nurture them quite quickly, though. If you think back to maybe like Steffi Hansen last season, who had quite a slow start, maybe mm. three or four games, he was poor. And then within a month or two, he was firing at full cylinders. So after like, people used to say about Roy Hodgson, how good he was at nurturing players. But it took Roy Hodgson six months, and we're seeing that probably with Palace right now. But Slav seems to have some sort of month-long magic wand. It's like a four-week intensive training program. I'll turn you into a decent footballer. Yeah, I've, I feel like with Slav, he's the kind of manager where if you give, if you show him that you've got something to give in training and things like that, he's going to guide you and he's going to, he'll sort of return the favor by giving you a chance in games. And he did that with Cameron in the beginning. And even though he was rough around the edges for the first couple games, I, I personally saw something that I, I'm sure Slav saw as well. This kind of d- dynamism and energy and sort of, never say die attitude that he gives to things and I think he rewards that the the fact that he might be slightly um, 
lower below par in terms of technically with his touch and all that kind of stuff. I think he sees through that because he sees that there's something a little bit more. And sometimes what camera has to give can be more valuable in in a lot of game situations, especially in the championship. Well, what a difference a week makes because I mm. think a week ago we were thinking, is his Fulham career going down the pan because he didn't even get a place on the bench against Burton? It's only Jack thinking that. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's amazing that Jack's not here this week. It's almost <laughs> like fate. No one to defend him. Yeah, he hasn't done a runner. I must say, just because he slated Kamara so much. Yeah. But yeah, Dom, I mean, a week ago, you're thinking, is his career over? He's not even getting on the subs bench to being the hero and suddenly the, the future of the Fulham attacking line in some eyes. Well, no, I think we always, I always saw him as he is a great dynamic option, I guess you can call it off the bench. He's not like mm. any other forward we've really got because Font is, yeah, as we saw, he's great holding, holding up the ball and playing other players in, but... We also need that striker to be that player who's running in because Font is going to be the one who's going to who has to sort of be the player who's putting away the chances. And I think, as I said earlier, him and Font, like as in Kamara and Font, could make a very very good partnership because if Font may not playing necessarily playing number ten while Kenny's out, but just playing a teeny bit deeper, maybe I don't know what exactly formation we play, maybe a four four one one, but it could it could work. It could work. It could be like the old, as we said, Bob, uh, Bobby's more Andy Johnson sort of partnership. Mm. Well, he got his big moment, uh, AK-47. It was brilliant play by Sessegnon. He beat Christie at the byline. I love the line from commentary by Jim, who made it, uh, said that Sessegnon did a nine-iron chip to the back Lovely. post. Uh, and then it was a towering mm-hmm. header from Abubakar Kamara. And lots of people online saying, when's the last time that we could say a Fulham striker had a towering header to score? I can't remember the last player that was even capable of doing that. For Fulham, Probably big, like stri- big striker. Like Pavel Pogrebniak. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. McBride, I guess. McBride. I mean, do we have to go back that far? Uh, it was a proper McBride-esque header. He he jumped. His sort of his legs were bent back, and he just and there were two defenders there, like, and like he a just, giant salmon. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And in front of the Hammersmith end, it was just it was a glorious moment. I really enjoyed watching that. The one. goal for me, it, it, anyone who's been you know who's got bags of enthusiasm, but isn't that great at football? And I'm not saying that this is Kamara, but for me, as somebody who is crap at football but has all the enthusiasm in the world when that went in I was just I felt like I'd scored it myself <laughs> just so he finally got that goal that he's, he's yeah. been desperate to get for, for weeks he finally got it well the reaction of the players was, was brilliant you could see it especially in Fredericks who kind of grabbed him by the cheeks and just shook him yeah. vigorously it was a brilliant celebration and clearly all the players were, were delighted for him as I think uh, all the fans were as well uh, we got to come back to the negative though I know it's been so fun talking about Abubakar Kamara it's just two minutes later another late goal conceded at home now that's uh, in three home games this season we've conceded in the 86th and the 88th minute twice now I mean it was just a really poor defensive show with numerous errors yeah, I don't really know where to begin on this on this on this corner really because it's an awful corner. Yeah, terrible. It doesn't even get to the small box. I, w- I watched it and I was like, like, what is he aiming for there? It's just a poor, poor corner. And I then it somehow the just box. ends up into the path of Cyrus Christie, buries it into the back of the net. I was like, just switch on and just defend. It's not that hard. Only five minutes to go. Where where did you think the the, the fault lied here? Because I think there was a couple of key mistakes. I mean, I think overall. And I was talking this uh, about this with you, Dom, earlier. I just think we are so fragile, and it has something. It has definitely got something to do with the way that we try to play football. We, uh, you guys talked about it before, trying to score the perfect goal, play the perfect. Uh, we, we, you know, we would rather see sort of lovely football. But when we go one up, uh, we're so determined to sort of. We're suddenly thinking, right, well, now we need to see this game out. 
and suddenly we just can't do the simple things right, which we were doing for the whole the whole game. We've already said it was such a comfortable sort of controlling performance. Uh, and then after that, everything everything just goes to pot. For me, uh, I thought that I mean Tim Ream and Thomas Callas trying to both head the same ball. Uh, was a fairly poor mistake. Plus Ryan Sessegnon uh, playing the entire Middlesbrough front line uh, onside wasn't fantastic. And I guess that's the sign of a 17-year-old lacking a little bit of game experience yeah, and not, keeping, total, not keeping up with the back It's just a total lack line. of communication between the defence, really, I think. Because both the centre-backs going for the same ball, the left-backs playing everyone onside where every, all the rest of the defenders are a lot further forward. I think it you could just put it down to to a lack of communication, but that's it's not that's something that should be so simple to fix. If you're going to be playing a high line from this corner, make sure everyone knows. Say my ball, if you're jumping for the ball, it's just simple stuff. Yeah, you know, schoolboy errors. Uh, I think before the ball eventually got to Christie, Fonten Norwood tried to clear the ball at the same time as well, and I don't, I think it was Norwood who was actually running onto it. He shot, probably should have cleared it, but. They kind of tried to go for it together. They both sort of mishit it. And then somebody else had a shot afterwards and it eventually got through to Christy who buried it. It was just like comical schoolboy errors. And the fact that we had just scored is another sign of, you know, that typical saying of you're most vulnerable after you score kind of thing. We just turned off and then it led to all the errors. It smacks of me of lacking cool heads, you know, kind of swinging and missing and yeah. two players going for the same header. It was just obviously such desperation to keep the lead that these the players kind of forgot their normal... You know, I think had that been a minute earlier before we scored and there was a corner like that, Callis and Reen would not be going to head the same ball. Mm, it's just true. such desperation. And equally, if we'd scored five minutes earlier than we did, I'm convinced we might have left 2-1 down. I think the game would have finished 2-1. It was actually a little bit hair-raising at the end. And also weird that he brought on Cissé after the goal, but obviously that was a substitution that was meant to happen after the goal. And then surely you'd have gone one all and thought, nah, Cissé, put your training top back on, Molo, on you go. Yeah, I thought he was going to do that as well. I really did. And when Cissé came on... He made maybe four misplaced passes passes in a row. I don't think he completed a pass when he came on. One of his passes, he literally just kicked straight to them as if he was wearing a Fulham shirt. Um, it, it was a confusing confusing thing because we didn't need him on for that last few minutes, I don't think. He was like trying to plug the Titanic after it hit the iceberg. I think it must have been ratified by the fourth official before the goal went in, so he's on. But it should have been Mollo, and it should have been Mollo on 60 Minutes, I think. We played the first half, it was like we were gathering intel on, on Borough, we're seeing how they're playing. And then in the second half, I'm thinking, okay, so we're going to use this now. And at 60 Minutes, I'm crying, come on, Mollo, Mollo, because we need, he, he was the guy who was going to pick that lock, I thought, he was going to provide that little bit of sort of that maverick style that was going to just uh, give us that cutting edge. And I think we would have scored earlier, and, and obviously I said, you know, if we scored earlier, we would have lost. But I think if we had done that, I, I really think that would have, uh, maybe we could have got one or two. I love that turn of phrase, gathering intel. Uh, Colin Murray and Clinton Morrison were chatting on uh, Football on Five um, after the game on Saturday uh, about Fulham's kind of mental fragility, about conceding late goals. And Clinton Morrison was saying that maybe Fulham just have to get that second goal in order to give them that... Well, I mean, it sounds obvious that we just need to start scoring more goals, but and he was basically saying it might become a bit of a mental problem for Fulham over the next few games that they really need to solve because what happens 
uh, on Q- at QPR on, on Friday night if if we're 1-0 up with, with five minutes to go? Are the players going to be thinking, here we go again? How does Slav address those problems? That's a really difficult problem to solve. I think... The main issue is that because last season no one really had time to analyse our our game really, and I think because everyone knew we were like the best team in 2017 in the championship up till before the playoffs, that I think a lot of teams are just adapting their game to play against us now, where they wouldn't be doing that last season. I think one example of that would have been when we beat Huddersfield 4-1 at the John Smith Stadium. Both teams were just playing their game of football, and ours was more adapted to Huddersfield's pressing game. Whereas I think this season, a lot of teams are adapting to play to us. So yes, last season Plan A worked brilliantly, but I think it's not necessarily time we need to start using a Plan B, but we need to start thinking about one because we can't just keep persisting with the, with the same thing if you know it's not going to work exactly. Because, but I think it is a lot to do with like uh, something mentally because last season we were the team scoring these goals in the 90th minutes. We weren't we weren't the one conceding them. You talk about the plan A, and and the worry, most worrying thing for me is Slav's comments after the game, when he's basically saying, when uh, when the plan B, C, D, and E aren't as good as plan A, then don't don't go to him. And I'm thinking, well, we have the ingredients to to we've got the squad that we can not necessarily we don't need necessarily a plan B, as Tom said, but we've got the players and and, the, and they have got the attributes to sort of bend and and flex in into our will. And I think that if for example, if you have a more direct, uh, grittier player like Molo, for example, if you use him. You don't want to be. You don't want Slav to be the the sort of you know the the Wenger type who doesn't change for any team. And and as Dom said, teams are changing for us, and we need to adapt. And I think ejecting that little bit of grit. I don't want you know I don't want long balls lofted up to striker every game or whatnot. But I would like a. I think we can change subtly and tweak bits without wholesale plan B, plan A point one maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we're gonna look as to whether uh, Slav is gonna make any changes uh, with a Forest and QPR preview after this. Free beer, anyone? Free beer? Yeah, I thought you might be interested. Right now, as a special deal for Fulhamish listeners, you can get a free crate with 10 delicious Norwegian craft beers inside, and it's delivered straight to your door by the guys at beer52.com. Now, all you've got to do is pay $5.95 postage and packaging, and you've got to hurry because there is limited stock. So head to beer52.com and use the promo code FULHAM. So to get that free beer, you just got to go to beer52.com, promo code Fulham. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Don Betts, Drew Heatley and Dave Preston. So we've been looking at the Middlesbrough game from Saturday. Time to look forward as we face two games in just a matter of days. Uh, first of all, we will be travelling to the city ground uh, up to Nottingham Forest. After that, we'll be travelling to Loftus Road, our near neighbours from the bush. But first, uh, let's look at Nottingham Forest, a very hot and cold team, a place that we haven't won at uh, since our relegation to the championship. We've had some absolute horror shows really uh, since getting relegated in fact I think last season was the first time we even managed to claim the points I think the one for me that stands out was the 5-3 the final game under Magat where it was an unbelievable comeback from 2-0 down to get to 3-2 and then suddenly I don't know what happened actually Britas Ombolonga got a hat-trick he did yeah uh, in that game I think that was his only hat-trick in English football that evening which isn't that uh, impressive considering it was against a Magat defence cost Middlesbrough a lot though didn't it it did, it did indeed. Uh, Forrest on a pretty bad run of form, uh, only won four of their last five, all after a pretty excellent start to the season where they had nine points uh, after four games. They do still sit one place and one point above Fulham. Uh, I guess the main threat to Fulham's backline will be Daryl Murphy, a brilliant signing for Forrest, considering after they lost to Sombolonga, they uh, got a lot of money for him, a brilliant proven championship player that I would have gladly welcomed at Fulham. Yeah, 
Daryl Murphy, you know what you know what he's good at in the championship. He's, he's a good physical tall striker who's going to guarantee you a fair amount of goals in the league. He should, everyone says, oh, he had a one-off season at Ipswich where he bagged 30 goals, but his overall play that he brings to a side is what is so critical because he's so strong on the ball and he's brilliant at playing in players. You've seen it not just for Newcastle and Ipswich, but you've seen it when he's played for the Republic of Ireland as well. He's 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 a, he's a great player and he's always just going to be causing... He's just one of his strikers who's just going to be causing a nuisance to a defence. I think you saw it on Saturday with um, Daryl Murphy. Did you see the goal he scored against Villa? No, but I remember... what One thing that always sticks in my mind with Daryl Murphy is... It's funny, obviously, we beat Newcastle 3-1, but he was still... When the ball came to him, I was still worried. Yeah. Because he scored that absolute blinder of goal, which goes actually under the radar where he curls it straight into the bottom corner and there was that game, I think, at home against Ipswich, maybe, I think, in the first season we went down where I think we lost 2-0 or 2-1 and he was just yep. actually dominating our uh, our defence. So I think we have got to be wary of him, but it's a game where we have to be getting something from. And funny enough, it's the third time we've had this game on this match day in the last four years. Yeah, it feels very repetitive because it's one of those I wanted to do, but I always find going midweek up north yeah, it's been, quite it's, difficult. It's been literally but... the exact same match day, so it'll be like the end of September, midweek away at the city ground three times now in four years. There's been quite a lot of those this season because the Leeds match day... Was the same uh, as was, last was very, season. Was very similar. Bristol's the same as last season. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the away games are annoyingly at the exact same time uh, of the year, which is great if you can go to them, and not so great if you can't. Uh, by the way, the Daryl Murphy goal against Villa, you have to see it. It's just a goal out of absolutely nothing, and I think just sums up everything about. Uh, there was there was there was no opportunity for him. He had four defenders around him, and somehow wriggles three and just does a perfect finish uh, past the Villa goalkeeper. Now, lots has been talked about online, Drew, about uh, what starts lineup uh, Fulham will go with tomorrow uh, considering the impact that Abu Bakr Kamara had uh, on Saturday not just his individual impact but also the way he linked up with uh, Rui Font uh, with him just in behind do you think Slav might be tempted to go for that as a starting lineup I can't see him doing it but I wouldn't mind if it did it We've all seen that Slav uh, likes to take a risk sometimes, and I I feel like uh, Font and Kamara could be the new love story of the season. I, I was really I was really pleased with both of them uh, towards the end of the game uh, on Saturday. And I, if we did see, and I, and I don't think we will, but if we saw Font just behind Kamara, and we just see how that went. My my reservation is that he's so he's like a little puppy, isn't he, Kamara? He's so full of enthusiasm and fire, and, and and you know. But I think if so, if he starts too early, you know, is he gonna is he gonna burn out? Is he has he got that discipline to to last the whole game? We're gonna see sort of thirteen shots in row Z before we see anything like that. Um, I, so I would I wouldn't mind seeing that, and I'd also I'd really like to see Molo start. Uh, I'm really high on him at the moment, and I think that he's got. As I said earlier, I think he could be that that lock picker for us. Um, so I'd really like to see a bit more of him in uh, in the game. If you, if it was AK forty seven to start with Font being behind, who would you drop out of the midfield? Would you push Norwood back into Steph Joe and drop Steph Joe? But then can you really drop? Johansson? I'd stop. I'd stop. Yeah, I'd drop Steph Joe personally. That's what I'm trying to figure out now. Because I haven't been it, so. that impressed with him that season personally. And I think Norwood. I know Johansson has got the work rate and he can run, but I think Norwood can pick that killer pass a bit better than Johansson can. And if we, I would start personally, if we we're going to have Kamara up front and front and behind with, I'd have Cabano and Molo on the wing because they're a bit more direct players and you want them in an away game like that. I'd love that. So I think if I would personally play Norwood and playing in the passes, or you could start Steph Joe, but I would take him off in maybe a 60th minute and then bring Norwood on later in the game for a killer pass. But I think it doesn't, I'm not really bothered who starts, but I wouldn't be against the idea of starting Norwood 
and dropping Johansson. Yeah, I think no. I think Norwood does has offered more this season as a whole, like you said. And something I said earlier on on the last episode I was on is that without Kearney, I think Johansson gets weaker uh, because he, there's more pressure on him to make that sort of creative move. Um, but Norwood just seems to have something, some kind of angle that Johansson doesn't. So I would probably do the same thing. And that's indicative of uh, maybe Norwood having that that grit that we need. So you know, you mentioned mm. Johansson has that pressure on his shoulders when Kenny's not around. Well, if Norwood just can say, "When well, no, I saw this, I'll take the game by the scruff of the neck. I'm going to find that killer pass," and, and he reads the game so well. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'd, I'd, ag- I'd agree completely. I guess the only thing, if you do start Kamara and Font, is what options do you have on the bench? If it doesn't work, you've only really then got defensive options. But I guess against a side forest that have already conceded 15 goals this season, there's certainly there's certainly a defence to exploit there. Yeah, definitely. I think only uh, Hell, Burton and Bolton have conceded more goals. So there's no reason why they can't be goals uh, on Tuesday night. But um, Daryl Murphy could be putting it in on the other end. So... It's a bit of a tough one. We're happier away from home at the moment in recent years anyway and I think we can all remember when it was the exact opposite way around and I think that um, when you can see that the, the amount of goals that Forrest have conceded I do think it's time to, to go straight for the juggler and I think uh, I, I really do think this is probably the season to, to do that and I think we can I, I am confident we can come away with the three points if we get ahead of steam early on we get one or two goals in the first half they say you know the biggest mis, uh, the biggest misconception of football is 2-0 is the most dangerous score well, that's absolute nonsense if we can get 2-0 up first half against Forest, I'm fully confident we'd walk away with the three points well that has been a little bit of our problem this season is you know not getting killing games off early enough and the only game that we really have done that this season was the Ipswich one where Font scored so early in the second half and it was a breeze for, for Fulham after that I think when we are 2-0 up and we're so, we, we have so much possession that we can kill off games very very well it's just when we leave ourselves 1-0 up with 4 minutes to play them that suddenly we struggle um, Dom uh, do you see Fulham getting a result at the city ground it's not a ground that we love going to it's often a uh, tricky place to get points from I think we mentioned it loads last season just if we get an early goal I think it will just settle the nerves down a lot more and then we can start playing our possession attacking game from there so I think we can easily get a good result there they're not on they're not an excellent side they're they're not I wouldn't say they're they're sort of one one dimensional with Murphy up front but you can see what they're going to try to do and if we can can if we can cancel out their midfield from creating any chances for Murphy and then converting that into counter-attacking chances for maybe a front three of Molo, Cabano and Kamara with front in behind, then I don't see any reason why we can't get a result there. And or we don't have a necessarily good record there, but I don't think that really matters. No, I think that's all That's all sort of stats for the stats people, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I think as well, uh, another attacking threat that we've not mentioned is Barry McKay. Uh, came from Rangers, Warburton connection there, and he's he's had a blistering start. He's got a couple of goals already, uh, and he seems to be able to play down both sides, and he just seems like a, somebody that can dribble, go get up players. So uh, we better watch out for him as well. Yeah, well, we don't actually... I know that we say that uh, the record against Nottingham Forest might just be one for the status, but we don't have a great record against Mark Warburton's sides. So that might be uh, one to watch for. I think was the last. I assume the last time we played a Mark Warburton side was the uh, the game we don't like to talk about the uh, the Brentford on Good Friday. 
Bad Friday. Yeah, I think you, you are definitely right. Yeah, we didn't play Forest towards the end of last season, did we? So No, exactly. Uh, then the uh, campaign to SOS or Save Our September continues on Friday uh, as we head to Loftus Road. Uh, the first big, big derby uh, of the season. Friday night, televised game, away from home. It's going to be... An unreal atmosphere. Dom, I know how much you don't like a London aways, but it'll still be a good atmosphere. Uh, and, and, and very similar uh, season to forestry that I think QPR are having. Uh, got off to a decent start, but now only just won one of the past five games. Another definitely winnable game. I still believe any game against an Ian Holloway side is a winnable game. As long as you don't get a penalty, you'll be all right. Oh, God. <laughs> I actually forgot. Yeah, that was a terrible one. Three oh. in, three penalties against them last season, and I still haven't got over how we lost to them at Craven Cottage last season. I just ne- never understood how that actually happened, because I think it's pretty much the same match day as that was, but just a reverse fixture. Mm. But I think yeah, we should we have to be looking for me to get minimum, and this is minimum four points in these two games because mm. we our home record for, for the last season has not been that good, and that's very obvious. But away record is is pretty good, and. I don't see any reason why we can't actually get six points out of these two games because I'm sorry, there's not really that many threatening players in either of these two sides compared to what we had last season and what these players can produce. So I'd argue that six points is easily attainable from these two games, but you never know Ian Holloway side. The QPR players are going to be up for it. But I don't really fancy losing off this road. I've only seen us lose there once, and that was not an inch, a very fun game. And Adol Tarap had the only good game of his oh, Premier League QPR career. Mm. Petrus got a consolation that game. He me? did, yeah. I, st- I just, I still think, it'll, yeah, it'll be a great atmosphere. But I think, yeah, we need to look, be going to these game both looking for a win. I think the start QPR I've had this season has been a bit misleading. Um, I have a good mate supports them, and uh, he thinks it's a sort of a season of consolidation. There, they they're all very much aware of Hol- uh, Holloway's sort of limitations as a as a coach. Um, so this season, I think it's just uh, they're not expecting too much. Um, they've got a good midfield free. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, Freeman, Scowen, and Luongo, um, who are pretty decent by all accounts, but. I don't think they. I don't think they're expecting the playoffs. So. Well, according to Holloway, Luongo's the best midfielder in the league. So, <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there'll be two very, very interesting games. Uh, we will be looking back at both of them uh, in next Monday's podcast. It'll be a bit, a bit of a bumper episode. But uh, you, you said six points, and there's another international break coming up after that Queens Park Rangers game, and we ended the uh, little run of games before the last international break so well with that win against Ipswich. It always does help trying to go into that international break on a high rather than on the back of some bad results. And we don't want to have the situation that we had last season when we had such a terrible September that by the end of it we were having to play massive catch-up for the entire season to even get close. Yeah, we don't want another repeat of that. I mean, I think... We're on the way to. We are. I think it's still early. I don't really think the table's actually relevant in the Championship till about December time. And then you can start looking at that's where the tables start to form, who's going to be where, apart from Leeds in the playoffs, because they'll eventually <laughs> finish seventh, as they always do. But yeah. I think... Yeah, I think it's just... It's more about... I want to see a bet, just better performance, really, from from these two games, because we haven't, I haven't seen, apart from Ipswich, an actual quality performance from Fulham this season, in my opinion. Bit of consistency. I mean, I, I get what you're saying about the table and looking at it in December, but if you look at these next two away games, Queen's Park Rangers and Nottingham Forest are both within a point of us, and you don't see them being very far away from us throughout the remaining part of the season. So if you look at these two away games, they're probably a bit more crucial than 
then a, another run that we'll, we'll have after the international break because it's not like we're going away to, to one of the bottom table teams like Bolton at the moment. So I think they're a lot, they're a lot more crucial than, than we think because we want to start edging ahead of teams like this. And I think, like you say, what's more important here is kind of to start to see a bit of consistency because it's just inconsistency that's killing us at the moment. I think, I think if we get to two wins uh, in four days, five days, whatever it is, we go away, we get Suarez coming through. If he plays tonight for the under-23s, if he gets training with the first team, we could see him. Uh, we don't know what's happening with Kearney, do we? And if he if he's closer than we think to coming back, we could get back after a week off and uh, things could look uh, a lot better. And I'm not saying they're looking too bad. I think last season we started obviously pretty well with the win against Newcastle. We had that dip. I think we're slowly slowly rising this time kind of like a stuttering airplane but uh, it's a it is inconsistent but not as uh, you know topsy turvy as last season i think six points in four days it could uh, it could look a lot different i'm a little bit worried about kenny i don't know exactly when he's due back but i'm i'm starting to now think that it could be potentially even uh, another month till he's back uh, jack's been doing the insider line with a few of his uh, friends at bleacher report and certainly i think there's a reason why the club aren't being too specific about Tom Kearney. And at the moment, uh, the signs aren't looking too good. As I say, all a bit of uh, it's all smoke and mirrors at the moment and hearsay. But uh, from what I'm hearing, not great regarding Tom Kearney's injury. And it looks like for the foreseeable future, we'll, look, we'll have to be making do without him. But maybe Font's the answer at number mm. 10. If we can, Who knows? If we can figure out how to play without him, if he's going to be out for that long, it looks like we're slowly maybe figuring out a way to play without him. If he does get injured again in the future, then we at least know what system to revert back to because that's one thing we've never been able to do is when someone like Kenny's missing we just think what the heck do we do and it looks like we might be able to just figure that out now and if it happens again in the future revert back to it uh, before we get on to your questions uh, I had a little topic that I put out earlier on Twitter It'd be great to get your thoughts on this uh, slow starters I've called this little segment so I want to talk about the players who have been widely written off or just written off by yourself it doesn't have to be uh, by the general Fulham fan base uh, but then gone on to be very important players down the line uh, Dave and I were actually talking about this yesterday and I'm not quite saying Abu Bakr Kamara has proven everyone wrong but certainly he's had his doubters and, and it includes this podcast 100% if he turns in to be the player that fires us to promotion we will personally apologise well Jack will personally apologise uh, to Abu Bakr Kamara in fact I'll make him write a handwritten letter uh, if he is the man to fire us uh, at Wembley or something like that but I'd like some suggestions of players that at the start we've all been very reserved about um, but in the end turned into be crucial players one for me um, to start off easily Chris Baird who I just think is one of the most obvious examples of it who had such a terrible time under Laurie Sanchez I believe it was because he was played out of position he was played a lot as a right back uh, when he was signed but he started so poorly under Laurie Sanchez and he was kind of the figurehead of a lot of disheartenment from the Fulham fans and then ended up becoming such a crucial player, especially in Hodgson's system, uh, often used him as defensive midfielder and he was absolutely brilliant. He's gone to have a fantastic career afterwards, even came back for a short-lived spell mm. uh, back at Fulham. So I'd like to put Chris Baird into the pot. Anyone mm. else want to join in? And, well, I sort uh, of looked through our Europa League final side and I found four oh, from the starting lineup. Like you could, I say Clint Dempsey because until he scored against Liverpool, took it from me. Uh, that, that was like the, that was the thing that was when I was tweeting quite a lot. In, on his debut, the first touch he ever did was the Rabona, 
And after that, he didn't do anything for a couple games. <laughs> Another player who started, Bobby Zamora, he was quite heavily, heavily criticised in yeah, his first season. I think unfairly, because what he actually brought to the overall style of the play, playing in the other attackers in that in that first couple of seasons until the 09-10 season, was he was actually very critical to play, but because he wasn't scoring goals, I think he scored about two in his first six or seven months at the club or something yeah. like that. And then also, I think Zoltan Gear actually got quite a bit of heavy criticism when he first joined the club. I think they, we worked out that he actually worked quite better in a more central role. And as soon as that, as soon as that happened, we realised what a player he was. I don't remember Gear getting stick. I'm I, sure you're right. I'm not really like saying. I just don't remember that. I remember Zamora. Gear did get a lot of stick at the beginning because I think when he really started playing him as a right midfielder or a left midfielder, and he wasn't quite. Obviously, he's not the quickest player, and a lot of fans were getting on his back. And then I think he got dropped actually. And then he eventually came back in the side and we realised what a key asset he would be. So yeah, four out of our 11 starting players in the Europa League final, I could, you could argue, were slow starters. Well, I had I had Zamora and Baird, so the, the, the disadvantage of going third. But uh, what I would just quickly add to Zamora, Zamora is was uh, a lot of us, I don't know I say a lot of us, a lot of Fulham fans in general judged his contribution by goals on the first season. It just wasn't, as you say, it mm. just wasn't the way it was. Um, Even when he did come right, he was more known to bring players into that's play. That's it. And that became his legacy. Uh, personally, I never rated Andy Melville for a long time when he played for us. I used to think he was so inferior to Coleman and Simons, who, of course, were the, the original Thames barrier, as it were. And 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 I every time he came in, I was just I was never happy with him. But uh, he proved me wrong because he was there for a good uh, five or six years. Cool, cool calm head. Uh, so he, I can definitely say that he did prove me wrong. And one thing I was thinking about is a player that starts slow and never gets a chance to prove himself. Tony Thorpe. Signed for us for, I think it was a million pounds, 1999, 98, 99 by Keegan, uh, outside the transfer window. Started in March, he'd scored 40 goals for Luton in three seasons. He had a brilliant record, didn't he? Yeah, brilliant record for Luton. Came in, uh, started a bit slow, uh, and in May uh, May or June, he was out, gone to Bristol City. I cannot remember if he was in our forgotten Fulham side that we did... Uh, no, just over a year ago he was definitely mentioned in the discussions we well, can come under the same breath as what was it Tavares who we signed just after the summer transfer window I think it was Martin Yole and then we sold him or released him before the winter transfer window didn't even start even playing a minute of football for, for the club a very dubious honour <laughs> yeah one player I'd quickly add him is actually from the current side and that's Tim Ream yeah, because, we had lots of yeah, suggestions because he he got a lot a lot of stick at the beginning. Maybe because we were playing at left back and he's clearly a ball playing centre back. But now I'd I'd argue in the latter half of last season he was more critical to our defence than Callas was. Like and Reem's yeah. pretty much a fan favourite now yeah. to most to most he fans. Just, There's yeah. still some fans who for some reason dislike him. But. It was those like prone errors that he would make that just it was so easy to talk bad about him because he would literally make a an error that would lead to a last minute goal. But uh, one player I would like to add, and it's probably a bit unfair to say he was a slow starter because I think he was quite young when he joined us, um, was Liam Rossinia. So it was more of it was more of like a junior kid getting a chance to kind of come through the team. But I remember him sort of being in and around the first team for a while, and eventually he became like our first choice right back. So. I was actually quite annoyed when we did the swap deal with him and Sol Keon, because Liam Rossini was one of my favourite players at the club yeah, at the time. I don't remember awesome. why. Probably just grew his afro, but... <laughs> Liam Afro Senior. Yeah. Well, without dropping awesome. a giant name, I did speak to him last week, and he was saying he did regret going uh, big time, and he only left because of Sanchez. And then obviously he looks at it, Sanchez goes, Roy comes in, Europa League final, and he's getting relegated with Reading, so... 
Hey, he's still he's, he's in he's the Premier playing. League now, so still it's still, it's all kind of worked out in the end for yeah. for Liam Rossini. Uh, we had loads in uh, coming on Twitter, so thank you for getting involved. Uh, Sonke uh, says uh, Reem Pogrebniak. Now I know what you think with Pogrebniak. He actually had a great start, but Sonke's trying to say that before he signed. He'd written him off and then he, uh, he had a good start. And he also put uh, Karagounis in there as well, who I remember every, a lot of people were very underwhelmed by Karagounis. Yeah, he was like 44. Yeah. <laughs> and he turned out to be a bit of a cult hero. Um, Berdinho was given a horrible time early on in his first stint, said Duncan Turner. Uh, Keith G agrees with uh, Chris Baird as well. Quite a few said Hangeland not good enough initially. I'm not sure I remember that. I thought he slotted in pretty quickly into Hodgson's system. I think he was just a bit more of an unknown. A lot of people were just like, uh, like where did he come from kind of thing? And then I remember he saved a season or two of mine on uh, Football Manager before we signed him, so I knew all about uh, Breda Hangland. Well, Copenhagen we have always been a great place to get some good players. At <laughs> <laughs> um, Liam Venton, Tim Ream stra- transformed under Slavisa and now our most important defender, uh, Liam Venton, who you can read some of his articles on the Fulhamish website. Charlie Boy agreeing with Gira. Uh, Zamora is in there Jerry Pym says Clint Dempsey didn't write him off totally but no way I thought he'd become one of my favourite ever players can you remember he kind of came in he, a little bit like a cheap Ronaldo and mm. just had step overs and that's all he had <laughs> I loved him for that it was so good but he had a slow start to his entire career I mean he kind of peaked or he kind of made his way onto the scene at like 26 no one had even heard of him I think he might have only signed a professional contract in his like early 20s mid 20s Maybe I'm getting that wrong. Yeah, he he, well, he yeah. was. A, I think he was a slow starter in all aspects of his development into the game. I think yeah. he only really started playing professionally very, very late yeah. on. But How audacious do you have to be to be an American starting late in your career, coming to the Premier League, and you know try and step overs and Rabonas and whatnot? I mean, you got <laughs> you got to have nuts of steel, don't you? Well, he I think in FIFA 2012 or something he was five star skills on on FIFA, <laughs> which is Mike skills, which is super difficult to have for somebody that's not like a household name. So respect, deuce. I mean, that last season he played for us, he he was he was on top form. He he was scoring for fun, scoring free kicks, and he ended up with fifty Premier League goals. So fair play to uh, Clint Dempsey. Certainly proved a few people should wrong. Never came back. I could do an entire episode on just Clint Dempsey. Ah, <laughs> oh, he should never have come back. That was a that was a horrendous little little, little stint. We try and block it out of memories. Uh, a few more just quickly from Twitter. Ben Smart, Stephanie Hansen. Definitely. Uh, I was screaming at him about how I'd personally drive him back to Norway. Orcs. Uh, David Button. I guess he's maybe coming good now. After well, I'd argue for me, I've said this quite a few times this season. I, th- I think he's probably been our most consistent or best player this season because the, the rest of the players, they've been good in certain games. They haven't done it over the, the entire season so far. And David Button hasn't really put a foot wrong. His distribution has improved massively this season. And I think... David Button, I think, if he didn't come from Brentford, I don't really think there'd be an issue with majority of Fulham fans. And I, love, I love a good story of retribution like that, though. Like yeah. it's happening, it's happening with Ream, it's happening with Button. And just just get everyone else to to do the same thing, and then uh, we'll all be loving it. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. So thank you very much for your suggestions on slow starters, and you can still get involved if there's any we haven't mentioned that you'd like to mention uh, on Twitter at Fulhamish Pod. Please do give us a follow over there as well, and follow us on all of the, all of the social media, uh, Instagram particularly. If you have an Instagram account, make sure you follow us at Fulhamish Pod. Lots of lovely photos and stories uh, composed by our own, very own Ben Jarman. Okay, Secretary Dom. Yes, it is over to you because uh, we've got time for some questions. And you have the post bag. Uh, I, I assume Jack gave you the post bag he did, earlier he, today. We, we met earlier at lunchtime and he passed it over. Okay, that's really nice of him. 
So Alan Rustad and uh, Ozzy Cottage both sort of asked a similar question regarding that could the number 10 role be going to Font? Should we be starting Kamara on Tuesday? I think we sort of covered that in the Forest and QPR preview, but I think he was, um, Ozzy Cottage or Gav as he signed off his question was saying, do we think he has a future? Well, I think he cle- we clearly, after his showing in the 20 minutes, shows he does. I think one thing we could argue was how much of a future do you think he has? Do you think he's going to be a critical first-team player for us, or do you think he's just going to be a player who's not necessarily a plan B, but as you said, a plan A.1 to come <laughs> off the bench? <laughs> I think he's got this season, uh, and I don't, I'm not saying that personally. I'm just thinking, you know, players like Kamara, when we've got our main our main focus up front, is clearly going to be Font going forwards. We've made a big financial outlay for him. I just get the feeling that Kamara has this season to show his worth and that's not necessarily as we say through goals it's whatever what he can bring to the team but we have to see I don't think he'll get much longer than the summer if he's not cutting it by May yeah it's a difficult one for him because if I mean obviously our target at the moment is to play Premier League football I just don't see where he would fit in in a Premier League setup with us so it's a bit difficult for him to like sort of look at that short-term future but if there was ever a time for us to try the two up front, even if they're not side by side and Font is slightly behind Kamara, I think this week is the time to give that a go. I mean, Forrest have conceded a lot of goals this season, so there's a time to try it and uh, we'll see what happens for Kamara going into Christmas around then. I feel I fear Ian Nacho, uh, sorry, I, I fear Kamara may have a, a touch of the Ian Nachos about him in the fact I think he will be such a good impact sub Mm. that it might harm his chances of getting a starting role because I think he'll be mm. so brilliant coming on, as we saw against Middlesbrough, after 60 minutes, playing against tired legs. I mean, if you're a tired centre-back, that is the last thing you want to see trotting onto the pitch <laughs> is Abu <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think that could unfortunately be Abu Bakr's personal downfall is how good he'll be off the bench. And that's why I expect to see more of him this season, even if Slav does experiment with him um, on Tuesday starting I just can't see it being an option that he will go with time after time and especially when Kenny returns I think the one thing you can agree on is that he's not going to be a 90 minute player if he starts he'll probably come off 60 minutes if he doesn't start he's on for the last 20 last 25 but but if he can if he if he makes an impact in the last 20 minutes I don't see any reason why he then wouldn't stay for a few years I mean Eric Neverland never started games and and he was a great impact sub so Mm. You know, you can have a role, your role doesn't have to be in the starting 11 and you can still have a fruitful two or three year career at the cottage. I guess it's your personal ambition, isn't it? I guess whether you want to be an impact sub and you're happy to be that or whether he's the kind of personality that won't be content with sitting on the bench and coming on. I guess we'll just have to have to wait and see. But thank you for those questions. Who are they again, Dom? Uh, that was from Australian cottager or Gav and Alan Rustad, unless I've absolutely butchered his name, which I don't, hopefully I haven't done. I don't think so. The next question is from Mark Harris. He says, hello, Fulhamish. I have a question on what referees review after a match. Do they sit down and discuss the decisions made? Do they get promoted slash demoted? And the second question was also, if you wanted to buy a Fulham shirt, would it be home and away? And would it, have, would, it, would it be plain or would it have a number on the back? Keep up the good work. So we start off the first question. What do we think referees do after a match? Well, Chris, uh, what's his name? Uh, Steve Martin? The the oh yeah Steve Martin Steve our, Martin our I know what he does he just has a protein shake he's absolutely he's just a tank <laughs> <laughs> refs are changing aren't they they are changing yeah uh, in, not necessarily what was in it the it was Cardiff was it yes that he refed oh no he refed Burton was it Burton oh it was Burton oh, yeah, it, yeah. it was Burton yeah yes. so to answer your question I don't know what they do about the game tapes but uh, Steve Martin has a protein shake they do get promoted and demoted to a sense they can get 
struck off if they have a bad performance for a week or two and um, they can, if they do keep performing well or badly, they can get moved up or down a mm. league. I think, is there a referee review at every game or a lot of games? Certainly in the Premier League, I think it's every game they've yeah. got a reviewer in the stands yeah there's definitely in the Prem I think in the championship I do think actually nowadays there are the refereeing standards in some of our games you would not think that that's the case but yeah I think there are now one thing that's really annoying me is why they never do interviews after a game to explain their decision Mm. surely because players have to explain things managers have to explain things I've never understood why a referee referees have done it but out of their own accord before and I never mm. understood why they can't go in and explain their reasoning for maybe a massively controversial decision during the game uh, I don't know if they go in and watch their decisions because they've had a bad game. I don't think they'd want to mm. relook over a few bad decisions they've made. But yeah, that's one thing that's always annoyed me is why referees never have to give post-match interviews. I guess it's the only thing with a post-match interview that it will basically be the case that the referee will come out in most cases if they've got the decision right. And if they get the decision wrong, they'll just go, no, I'm not doing an interview today. Yeah, pretty much. A bit like basically a Jose Mourinho interview. Yeah, send out the assistant, the fourth, fourth official. <laughs> Um, and what was the second part of the question? So, if you had to get a Fulham shirt, would it be home and home or away? And would you would it be plain, or or would you have a number on the back? And would I'm, you ever get a Fulham shirt? I can't imagine you in one. I have like a couple. I saw of, you in one at um, yeah. I have a couple of ones, day. but like the last match you bought a home shirt, I think was ten two thousand and ten eleven. Okay, I've got quite a few like retro ones which I've bought online and stuff. Yeah, I can yes. imagine you in a retro top. But like, I, just I can't know, imagine you in a. Retro I don't know. Car. I just don't really like the new ones. I'm quite a big fan of home like collared shirts when it comes to home shirts so the two retro ones I've got are both collared um, if I had to get one I'd probably get the away shirt I'd try buy the po- biggest possible kid size one so I wouldn't have to get a sponsor on the front <laughs> save a bit of money as well yeah and then probably I'd probably get Cabano 7 or just 7 on the back okay Drew nice I uh, I always get a shirt most years, most seasons, but then I find that I never wear them because if I'm going to a game, I'm going out afterwards. I'm not going to rock up in a Fulham shirt as much as Come I love on. them. So like, I'm, I, so I just I use them for the gym or whatnot. But I w- I always get one, and I would probably and I probably end up getting it plain because I I, I see uh, sometimes I see like 65 year old men with with Cessna on the back, and I'm thinking this is just this is just a bit odd for me. <laughs> I'm, I don't, I'm not having this, so I think I'd go plain now I've as a 30 year old man. That before. Uh, Oh, I would definitely get, if I had to choose between two, I'd get a home shirt always. I'm the kind of person who wears a Fulham shirt on match day, no matter where I am. Uh, I've I supported Fulham from four and a half thousand miles away for 15 years. And it doesn't matter where I was going. I was going to school. If I was going anywhere, I'd have a Fulham shirt on on match day. Um, definitely a home shirt. If you find yourself going to a lot of away games, get yourself an away shirt. But um the players on the back thing is a tough one because I recently got... Well, when, when Ross McCormack was banging in goals for us, my dad came over to the UK and I, I said, please get me a McCormack shirt. He came back with a McCormack shirt. Next thing you know, the whole situation turned sour and he, his whole sort of football career has just kind of been up in the air at the moment um, with, with where he's playing and whatnot. And now I just have this Fulham shirt that I don't actually want to wear because it's got McCormack on the back. And it's actually such a sick shirt because it's a black, it's that black... Um, with the orange ma- trim. Yeah, yeah, it actually looks really good. Um, I'm kind of dancing around the question here, but um, <laughs> I would, if you can, get a custom get a custom name of a player that's kind of written himself in Fulham folklore, like a McBride or something. But then you got the argument of it's a new shirt with an old player... 
So just get your own name on the back just, of the just shirt. Just don't do like Podcocku or like Fontbano or something like that. Just yeah. none, none of that nonsense. Well, uh, well uh, there's someone that has AK47. I like that. I, I like that. Um, I... I would get an away shirt. I got an away shirt at the end of last season. I just don't like having a name or number on the back, personally. I don't know what it is about it. Mm. I think there's the longevity with the player. And I, if I got one, I would have to. I would be really like trying to think tactically of a player that I know has a bit of longevity. Mm. I wouldn't get a Sessegnon because I don't think he's going to be here next season. I think True. he's going to be playing for someone awful like United or Chelsea mm. and then it, and then, then it's a shirt ruined. But I'd get someone that I think had the potential to be a bit of a legend. I'd probably get something like Steph Joe or something because I know wherever he goes next, it's not going to accept me too much because I just love him so much. So yeah, but if I had to, that's who I'd go for. But I'd normally just like an away shirt Plain. Yeah, it's about getting that folklore player who, where, with his shirt that he wore. Cabano. Like, King Cabano. Yes. He, okay. he will live on I'm looking to get a Democratic Republic of Congo shirt, though, with Cabano well, on. We have, we've, got a con- we've got a Congo flag, We just, which he actually noticed at Sheffield Wednesday away last game of the season last year. Our picture of it from the away stand made it onto his Instagram story. Fantastic. Schaefer so. <laughs> 77. Yeah. There, uh, is, there is one more question, actually, from Guy Barlow. He's been on the pod a few times. Out of this parish? Yeah. Is it time for a 3-5-2 with Adoy slotting into a third centre-back slot? I'm going to say no. I love you, Guy, but no. No from Say me. that again. A 3-5-2. With Adoy slotting as a third centre-back. Oh, we love ourselves a Dennis Puyol, but... <laughs> nah. I know. I, I mean, because so. we played three at the back for a few times last season. It just didn't work. We've always no. talked about that Reading game, and it just didn't work. And I just don't... I think we... We look like we have the players to do it, but I just don't think we do. I know now we have a Doy who potentially could do it. Try in the cup. Yeah, I mean, but Dennis Dennis Adoy isn't quite Cesar's Pelisqueta as far as I'm concerned at the moment. But you know, it could be. It's in vogue, but it's not for us. I think that's probably the long and the short of it. It's it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely the most one of the most popular sort of formations going in at the moment, but not for, not for us. Even <laughs> even Wenger's gone for it. Yeah, even <laughs> Wenger. Um, right, well, that is time for today. Thank you so much uh, for listening to the pod and thank you to you guys for being in the studio. Uh, we just need Secretary Dom to finish his last job, which is titling today's podcast. Well, the name of this podcast was going to be Lights, Kamara Bottle from Don Riley FFC, I think formerly Peers on Passion, but we've really used Lights, Kamara Action as the name of a podcast this season, so we're going to go with Weapon of Choice. Weapon of Choice. Well, like lots, of talk about, like lots of talk about AK-47 in today's podcast. Uh, hopefully there'll be plenty more to talk about him. Uh, this time next week so two big games this week Uh, safe travels if you're up to Nottingham Forest tomorrow and I'm sure I'll see plenty more of you on Friday at the big game at Loftus Road are you making the trip to Loftus Road? yes don't I'm not you know where are you? No, I didn't get my acting gear and now I'm off seeing family so I've ruined it all sorry guys at least we'll be able to watch on the telly yes it'll be on the box And uh, I'm not even going to bother asking Dom whether he's at at Loftus Road. Of course he's there. Uh, Please keep uh, sharing the podcast. Please subscribe to our wonderful man Dave's newsletter. It's our newsletter. But it's your newsletter as much as anything else. Uh, If you want to subscribe to the newsletter, just head to fullamish.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Dave Preston, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Drew Heatley, thank you very much. Thank you. And Dom Betts, thank you very much. Laters. Bye. Bye.
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.